Welcome to Don't Look Now, the podcast with your hosts, Jenny McDonald and Will Hageman coming to you today, this Tuesday, as always, with our, what do we want to call it, our topic of the week, um, always chosen by Jenny, never known by me, and uh, you were about to find out what the heck we're talking about this week. So, Jenny, give me, give me the hints, what a, see if I have any knowledge whatsoever of whatever the heck we're talking about. What is happening right this minute? And I don't actually know what's happening where you are right this minute. It's snowing right now, actually, Monday night. But yeah. That's exactly what I want to talk about tonight. Cool. Good deal. Only I want to talk about something about snow, but not snow. About snow, but not snow. Cocaine. (laughs) I mean, not a bad guess based on what I just told you. Um, It involves skiing. Ooh. Hmm. Involves skiing, which obviously involves snow. Uh, we've already done the Dateloft Pass, so that's that's uh what other fun skiing story would there be? It's not actually a skiing story. Okay. It just involves skiing. I don't know, man. I'm, I'm I'm I do not know. I don't know why, but today I was really interested in the process of making snow. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. For all your manufactured snow on the slopes. Yeah, I'm a four-year-old yeah. and I had to know why, how, what does it do? Cool. So for anybody that doesn't know, the act of making snow is called snowmaking. Um, <laughs> a technical of, term. It's a very technical term, <laughs> yeah. Will. Very technical. Uh, and it is produced by forcing water and pressurized air through what is called a snow gun or a snow cannon. Nice. Also very technical terms. Mm-hmm. You would never have come up with these names looking at their pictures at all. Yep. Definitely not. Um, mainly used at ski resorts to su- supplement natural snow. It allows ski resorts to improve the reliability of snow cover and extend their seasons from late autumn to early spring. There's also nice. indoor ski slopes, which I didn't know existed because that sounds just terrible to me. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely a Middle East thing. I've definitely seen that. <laughs> seen videos and stuff of those and some of the emirates and things which is crazy just why i don't i have zero interest in skiing and i know some people love it so i don't (laughs) want to like shit bag on it too hard but i just don't get it skiing it looks miserable i'm just gonna put that out there it it is miserable until you get good enough at it and then it's fun (laughs) the process of getting good is not fun right I did see a guy with these little shortened skis that I was mm-hmm. like, oh, that makes a lot more sense. Yeah. But you will never convince me that ski lifts are safe. Yeah. I've, I've had some fun on ski lifts. I'm sure I'll have to share at some point on this thing. So they're terrifying and it's a terrible idea. So let's go back to the beginning. In 1950, three men by the name of Art Hunt, Dave Ritchie and Wayne Pierce invented the snow cannon but they waited to secure a patent until much later. So it wasn't like known to them right away. (laughs) In 1952, Grossinger's Catskill Resort Hotel became the first in the world to use artificial snow. 
Um, and then snow banking began to be used extensively in the early 70s. And many ski resorts, like that was what they relied upon to keep snow on the ground. Um, as time has gone on, you can probably imagine uh, snow making has achieved a lot more efficiency, but also become a lot more complex. Hmm. So traditionally, snow making quality depended on the skill of the equipment operator. Uh, but today, of course, since we've given up on humans doing anything, AI has taken over and the computers are rising against the humans. And, <laughs> and they're making snow. They're making snow. They're making snow with a lot more precision. Um, and they're a lot better at it, apparently. <laughs> so they say. Yeah. So they say. So the key considerations in snow production are increasing water and energy efficiency and increasing environmental window in which snow can be made. Um, the problem with making snow is that it's super unenvironmentally friendly. Like I, I can imagine. <laughs> it real bad. That is a, a one thing that's got to take a lot of energy to make snow when there's not snow. So. Right. So snow making plants require water pumps and air compressors. Um, they're really large, they're really expensive, and then the energy to make artificial snow is crazy. Um, like, it's super expensive. And the density of artificial snow is between 40 or 400 and 500 kilograms per m3 squared cubed. I don't know what that means. Meters cubed? Meter, yeah. Yep. Meters cubed. There you go. It's very dense. Um, and the water consumption for producing that snow is roughly equal to that number. So it takes lots of water and it's heavy. Yeah. And a lot of the regions in which they, they make snow often have water shortages. So that's interesting. Yeah. This makes me so, think of the complaint about golf courses constantly with, you know, water usage and all that kind of stuff. So, right. It, this is similar. Yes. So snowmaking begins with a water supply, such as a river or reservoir. They pump the water up a pipeline up to the mountain using a large electric pump and a pump house. And then the water is distributed through an intricate series of valves and pipes to the trails that are going to use the snow. A lot of resorts also add a nucleating agent to ensure that as much water as possible can freeze into the snow and doesn't just like dissipate in the air. These products are usually organic or inorganic material that facilitate water molecules to form the proper shape to freeze into ice crystals. They're non-toxic and biodegradable. Maybe. Yeah. Supposedly. The next step is to add air using an air plant. The plant is often a building that contains electrical or diesel industrial air compressors the size of a van or a truck. Sometimes, though, you can use a diesel portable trailer mounted um mounted air compressors which are added to the system which is there diesel big burning vehicles <laughs> i air quality must be bad if nothing else um many fan type snow guns have an onboard electric air compressor which allows for cheaper more compact operation and a ski area may have the required high output water pumps but not the air pump Onboard compressors are cheaper and easier than having a dedicated pumping house. The air is generally cooled and excess moisture is removed before it's sent out of the plant. Some systems even cool the water before it enters. This improves the snowmaking process as the less heat in the air and water 
the less heat's dissipated and more water can freeze. So from the plant, the air travels up a separate pipeline following the same path as the water pipeline. So like I said, occasionally the water is mixed with a ice nucleated active protein that forms a bacteria called Pseudomonas syringae. These proteins act as an effective nuclei to initiate the formation of ice crystals at a really high temperature. So the droplets will then turn to ice before they fall to the ground. The bacterium itself uses these proteins in, in order to injure plants. Now, huh. I have real concerns about the fact that we're killing plants to make fake ice, but hmm. what do I know? <laughs> I would yeah. not have guessed they do some biological thing. It's, you know, usually, usually water nucleates on dust and stuff in the atmosphere. So I'm just kind of surprised they're using some kind of bacteria instead of, you know, fine dust particles or something. Uh, Nope, let's use bacteria that murders plants. That sounds like fun. Yeah, I mean, maybe they're just using it as their own form of Roundup, but yeah. Maybe. Hmm. So there's many forms of snowmaking guns, but they all have kind of the same principle of combining air and water to form snow. For most, the gun type or quality of snow can be changed by regulating the amount of water in the mixture. For others, the water and air simply on or off. <laughs> so... <laughs> That's why the accuracy is not super hot. Um, and the snow quality is actually more determined by air temperature and humidity. Okay. So in general, there's three types of these guns. There's an internal mixing, external mixing, and a fan gun. Um, and they come in two main styles, air water and fan guns. An air water gun can be mounted on a tower or on a stand on the ground. It uses a lot higher water pressure and air, while the fan gun uses a powerful fan to propel the water a greater distance. Okay. A modern snow fan consists of one or more rings of nozzles, which inject water into the fan airstream. Um, a separate nozzle or small group of nozzles is fed with a mix of water and compressed air and produces the nucleation point for the snow crystals. So this small droplets of water and tiny ice crystals are mixed together and then propelled out by this powerful fan. And once they exit, they cool quicker through evaporation in the surrounding air, and then they fall to the ground, much similar to regular snow. The crystals of ice then act like seeds. So they're, you know, like the big joke about seeding clouds so that you can get it to mm -hmm. rain. It's essentially what they're trying to do here, but with snow. Um, so these crystals of ice act as seeds to make the water droplets freeze at zero degrees or, or zero degrees Celsius or 32 degrees Fahrenheit. Without it, the water would just be really cold and it wouldn't yeah. freeze. Um, and then this method can produce snow when the wet bulb temperature of the air is as high as 30 degrees Fahrenheit. So the lower the air temperature, the more and better the snow cannon can make. This is one of the main reasons snow cannons are usually operated at night. Um, it's because it's colder. The quality of the mixing of the water and air streams and their relative pressures is crucial to snow amount and quality and quantity. Nice. So these modern snow cannons, like I said, are robot run. Um, they're fully computerized and can operate autonomously or be remote controlled from a central location. And operation parameters are starting and stopping time, quality, maximum wet bulb temperature, excuse me, um, maximum wind speed, horizontal and vertical orientation, and sweep angle. I'm just saying if you train somebody with all these phrases, you might get better quality from humans that are making the snow. <laughs> Maybe. 
Um, so internal mixing guns have a chamber where the water and air are mixed together and forced through jets or holes that fall to the ground as snow. They're typically really low on the ground on a frame or a tripod, and they require a lot of air to compensate for the short time in which the water is airborne. Sometimes newer ones are built in a tower form and they use less air because of the increased hang time because they're already on a tower. So they have mm -hmm. a little bit more height to begin with. The external ones have a nozzle spraying water as a stream and then air nozzles that shoot air through the water stream to break it into smaller water particles. Like in my head, when I was reading this, all I saw was fire hydrants. Yeah. With air guns <laughs> attached to it. Yeah, there you go. It looks like a shower head in my head, but with the force of a fire hose. Anywho, um, these guns are sometimes equipped with a set of internal mixing nozzles that are known as the nucleators. They create the nucleus for the water droplets to bond and freeze. External mixing guns are reliant on high water pressure to operate correctly. So the water supply is open completely. Um, and then the flow is interrupted, like I said. So it's important. Another interesting one is snow lances. They're 12 meter long, vertically inclined aluminum tubes at the head of which they have placed water and or air nucleators. Air is blown into the atomized water at an outlet to form the water nozzle. And then the compressed air expands and cools and creates those water seeds. And the height of the slow rate of descent allows sufficient time for this to happen. It is more energy efficient than a fan, but it has a smaller range and lower snow quality. So even though it sounds cooler, <laughs> it's not. Um, but it is cheaper <laughs> and quieter and half the energy consumption. So it might work for like newer establishments. Yeah. These days you can actually make snow at home even. So they have smaller versions of snow machines that exist oh. in the world. Um, that you can use your house water supplies. I don't recommend this though, because like if it's cold <laughs> enough to make snow, I'm betting you can freeze your hose. Just thoughts, yeah. right? Um, but home snowmakers receive their water supply from a garden hose, once again, sounds sketchy, or from a pressure watcher, which makes more snow per hour. Plans do exist so that you can build your own if you okay. are one of those people. You should just make one and have like three feet of snow in the backyard just for the hell of it. Yeah. It sounds like terrible. It sounds terrible. Not going to lie. Um, but you can pressurize air from a standard air compressor to do this. The volume of the snow, of course, is going to depend on the air water mixture, the temperature, the wind, the pumping capacity, water supply, air supply, and other things. <laughs> so it's not going to work as fantastic as like a big one, but it works. So by the 2009-2010 ski season, 88% of ski resorts belonging to the National Ski Areas Association use artificial snow to supplement natural snowfall. Because I don't know if anybody's aware other than Will and I, but um, glaciers are shrinking. And that means that snow is not sticking around like it used to because, you know, the temperatures be rising. Um, and then... European Alps, the proportion of ski slopes that can be covered by artificial snow varies by country. <laughs> so, for instance, Germany, you can only use 25% of the slopes can use the snow. France, 37. Switzerland, 53. And then it bumps crazy up high. So, Austria, 70%. And then Italy, 90% of slopes <laughs> use artificial snow. <laughs> 
1985, the average aggregate temperature in the U.S. for the months of November through February has been consistently above average temperatures for those measured between 1901 and 2000. So trends like this limit and encourage the use of artificial snow. Uh, rising temperatures result in greater snow melt and decreased snowfall, so the resorts have to depend more heavily upon the use of artificial snow. However, <laughs> once the temperature is above 43 degrees Fahrenheit, snowmaking is not a viable option with current technology. So you can supplement it, but it ain't going to last very long. Yeah. Makes sense. <clears throat> However, because we love technology, artificial snow is more common and it's becoming more efficient. Developers are looking for ways to expand existing ski resorts and continue to use these methods. However, you know, if you want more ski resorts and you come up with more and more clever ways to make snow, you're also going to run the risk of severe or significant deforestation, um, the potential to interrupt fragile ecosystems, and of course, cultural opposition because people like to put things in places that mean things to people yeah one of the biggest barriers for her artificial snow is the expense so it was estimated in 2008 it costs $131,000 to purchase a snow gun and develop the necessary infrastructure in the French <laughs> Alps alone they have invested 61 million dollars into snowmaking nice yeah in the U.S., it's probably equal. I mean, it's outrageous. 50% of the average American ski resort's energy costs are generated by the production of artificial snow. Hmm. It's pretty high. So while the snowmaking machines allow ski resorts to extend their seasons and sustain business in times when there's not as much snow, snowfall is becoming increasingly unpredictable. And the economic success of ski resorts is in jeopardy. So between 2008 and 2013, American ski and snowboard resorts experienced annual revenues of about $3 billion, which sounds like a lot of money to me. Yeah. Just putting that out there. And such high levels of revenue increased the demand for snow. People want this to be reliable. They want to be able to go whenever. So the economic benefit of ski resorts has been around $3 billion in recent years. The additional economic value of winter tourism in the U.S. is $12.2 billion a year by making nice. this snow more readily available. Everybody wants to be part of a Hallmark movie. Yeah. Additionally, winter tourism supports around 200,000 jobs in the U.S., um, which is approximately $7 billion in benefits and salaries. About $1.4 billion is paid in state and local taxes and $1.7 in federal taxes. Billion. $1.7 billion. Yes. So the economic benefit is great, but it's super fragile. <laughs> so um, as we're getting less and less snowfall and the temperatures are rising, they're starting to see a $1 billion decrease in economic activity every year. Hmm. A pretty big, pretty big dive there. The implementation and use of artificial snow making technologies requires the undertaking of big infrastructure projects. They result in major disruptions to local ecosystems. 
A major infrastructural project associated with the use of artificial snowmaking technology is the Mountain Reservoir. So the mountain reservoirs are embankment dams that feed underground water pipelines. And tapping into them poses a pretty big risk to nearby populations and ecosystems. So not only are we talking about stealing water from the locals, essentially, um, there are other hazards to think about that are mountain specific. So things like avalanches, rapid flows, and landslides. Uh, approximately 20% of the mountain reservoirs used in um, snowmaking mm-hmm. are built on avalanche-prone sites. <laughs> they hired really good planners for that. Um, and then 50% are prone to very high hazards in general. So one of the things mountain reservoirs can do is expel water very quickly which causes massive flooding and can significantly jeopardize public safety if one of those dams breaks. So the severity of these hazards, they think, is augmented because of the economic benefit, which is gross. And then if you look at the water and energy use side of it, um, snowmaking machines generally require 3,000 to 4,000 cubic meters of water per hectare of slope that they cover, which takes about 106 gallons of water to produce one meter of snow. And they use about 107 gallons of water per minute. Nice. I think I use that per year. (laughs) I don't use that much water, so it's pretty wild. Um, A significant amount of the water lost is due to evaporation, so it's not returned to the water table. And then It also takes a ton of energy to produce one cubic meter of snow. It takes approximately 3.5 to 4.3 kilowatts per kWh kilowatts of kilowatt hour. Hour. Yep. That. That. Um, To produce a cubic meter. The number, though, can be as high as 14 or as low as one, just depending on the weather. So if you look at, I said earlier, 50% of the um, average American ski resorts energy costs are due to snowmaking. That's about $500,000 a year for the various resorts, for the smaller ones. And then this also messes up the ground and drinking water. So ski resorts will use mineralized water in the production of snow which messes with ecosystems and water tables. The um, reserves are often filled with highly mineralized water. And then when you have all the runoff, you mess up with, you mess up the groundwater and it actually pollutes the drinking water. So it's a big problem because the reservoir on its own would not allow water to seep back in the ground. It's only because it's being returned after it melts. Mm -hmm. It makes a mess. Um, And then as a result of changing weather patterns, snowmaking has become an even bigger deal, but it poses a lot of significant environmental threats. So EPA forecast temperature increases to be between a half a degree and 8.6 degrees Fahrenheit globally with an increase of about 2.7, right? Um, That's just in the U.S. by 2100. So we think it's going to go up several degrees. It's not going to get better. And scientists predict that snow cover in the Northern hemisphere will decrease by 15% at the end of the century with snowpack decreasing and snow seasons shortening concurrently. Mm 
So it's projected that by 20, by the 2050s, fewer than half of the 21 locations historically used for the Winter Olympics and Paralympics would still have reliable weather conditions. Mm-hmm. Um, the predicted change would induce ski resorts to rely more heavily on artificial snow, which then uses more water, which then uses more electricity, and then would further contribute to the production of greenhouse gases and the issues of water scarcity. So it's actually a long-term environmental impact that needs to be looked into. Um, the other issue is, is that artificial snow takes longer to melt. Hmm. Makes sense, I guess, because you're seeding the water, right? But it takes two to three weeks longer to melt than natural snow does. Um, so that then, of course, introduces new threats to the local flora and fauna. And then you have this higher mineral content. It actually affects what plants can grow here and what animals can live there. Okay. So it's a big problem. So the positive. Positive impact is for the local economy. It increases firefighting capabilities, increases opportunities for physical activity. It increases improved competition conditions. Um, These reservoirs and pipelines that are constructed to transport water to the ski resorts also allow for firefighters to use them in the event of a wildfire, which is great. Um, Producing artificial snow allows ski resorts to extend the time that they're operational. So it increases opportunities for people to be physical outdoors. Um, And finally, the composition of snow from the snow gun is different. Um, So it's actually better for people that are trying to compete because it's faster and hyper grippy. (laughs) But the negative, of course, environmental impact, um, a lot of significant negative cultural and social issues um, have been arising So a lot of ski resorts rent out the mountains and slopes in the U.S. forest, which then raises questions about how surrounding lands should be used and what that means. Um, So an example of a negative cultural externality is the contention surrounding the use of snow in the Arizona Snow Bowl. So it's a ski resort in northern Arizona. And it's situated in the San Francisco Peaks, which are the holiest of sites for various Native American tribes in the Four Corners area, including the Navajos. So... They don't love that they are renting this area out to go skiing because Mm -hmm. they're building new slopes and they're increasing the production of artificial snow. So the project to do that would clear approximately 74 acres of forest and use reclaimed water to produce the artificial snow. Um, They would have to construct a three acre holding pond for this reclaimed water and install underground pipeline. So six different Native American tribes and various other organizations tried to file a lawsuit against the U.S. Forest Service and the Arizona Snow Bowl. And they were like, no, because if you do this, you change the whole spirit of nature of Mm -hmm. the mountain. And they fought this for a long time, but they ultimately failed and things got built anyway in 2009. (laughs) They had a legitimate argument. Yeah. This altered their holy site and... They get no say in it. So that is the snow cannon hmm. and its history and uses. Nice. Once yeah, again, sorry, the ADHD took over. Hey, no, it's interesting. You know, it's something I always knew that they did, but I knew nothing about it. I had no idea that there was really anything to it or any worry about it beyond, you know, water and energy consumption. I had no idea he had all the mineral issues and deforestation and bacteria using the kill plants, all kinds of crazy stuff. So 
So I assume you're a skier. I have gone skiing. I'm most definitely not a skier. <laughs> I have been skiing four times in my life, something like that. So, you know, I have gone skiing, but I have had fun, you know, with a, a big story. It was, you know, getting on a ski lift and Amy having a hard time getting on. And then she hopped on and she ended up like sitting on top of my ski pole. So then she was like dangling half off with my ski pole there. And like my hand was through the loop in the pole. So I couldn't get my hand out. So like my hand was pinned like under her. So then I couldn't move my hand to like hold her. And if I moved my other hand over, I wouldn't be holding anything. And both of us would have fallen off. Oh my God. You know, so she's like kind of half clinging to the thing. And my left hand is pinned and I managed to like wiggle my hand out of it so that then, you know, my glove and the pole fell and I was able to like grab her with that arm and pull her on. And then like we got up to the top and then I'm without a glove and a pole on my left side. And right when we got up there, it started snowing like mad. Of course. And Amy couldn't see cause she was wearing glasses. So then we we're like working our way down the mountain and we're both novices and she couldn't see. So she kept landing in snowbanks, and I had to like dig her out each time, but I didn't have a glove. So I'm like <laughs> digging her out of feet of snow without a glove and everything else. Like, you know, it was a, it was a mess. So. I don't know which part of this story I love the most, but like, I just love you too so much. <laughs> we, we were a mess. It was, it was not good. <laughs> I can imagine when you got to the bottom, you were like, I think we should just get some hot chocolate. And yeah, chill I think, for like I an think hour. we are done with skiing for some time now. I would absolutely be the person that someone took to a ski resort that went, you could convince me to get on the lift one time, maybe. Yeah. And if I didn't have any issues, I'd get on once. I'd come down once. That's it. Mm -hmm. Never again. We're done. (laughs) I did it. So let's, let's go down a rabbit hole and talk about snow. What if I told you that snow is not white? You probably know this because you're smart, smarty pants with smartness. Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> I am an optics person. So yes, snow is clear. That's... Snow is clear. Um, it's the the tran- the light reflecting off of it that makes it look white because Which it scatters light. The other thing, the polar bear hair is clear as well, apparently. So what? Really? Yep. Oh, dude, divergent. I watched <laughs> this show. God, what's the name of this show? It was on Amazon Prime that took place in. Oh my God, it's going to drive me crazy. <laughs> One of the Doctor Who's was in it. Um, okay. But it took place in the Arctic and they had polar bears that would just like walk into town and they were always blaming them for murdering people. Great yeah. show. 100% should watch. I have to find the name of it. I'll post <laughs> it on our Facebook, which you should follow us on Facebook. Um, Next thing. One of the ter- determining factors in the shape of individual snowflakes is the air temperature. So the study of flakes has identified that long, thin needle-like ice crystals form at 28 degrees Fahrenheit or negative two degrees Celsius, while lower temperatures of negative five Celsius or 23 Fahrenheit lead to very flat plate-like crystals. Hmm. I kind of want to know what the crystal shape is of artificial snow now. Yep. Now you're going to have to find out. Yes. Do you get cool flakes? Is it just yeah, little ice pellets? Yeah, Because the composition's denser? Now I need to know. Um, the creator of the compound interest science blog, Andy Bruning has painstakingly cataloged 35 different types of snowflakes. 
<laughs> so that's something that's a weird hobby. <laughs> now, another rabbit hole that reminds me of reading a whole book, Smilla's Sense of Snow. I don't know if you've ever seen that one, but yeah. No. It was a strange book, but anyway, it was the title was predicated on the fact that Smilla is someone basically it's set in Denmark, but she is from basically from uh, Greenland and it's the whole Inuit multiple words for different types of snow sort of things that she's, but on top of that, she's one of these people that has this snow sense. So she knows exactly what kind of snow is around and where, you know, all your holes falling down to crevasses are and all that good stuff. So I feel like this is like people from Kansas are like, Oh, I can smell the rain. Can you smell it? It's coming. Yeah. It absolutely smells. Finally, according to NASA scientific simulations corroborated by remote robots again, (laughs) during the summer and the north of Mars, there's sudden violent snowstorms. Um, So we know there's clouds and subsurface ice on Mars. So snow is plausible. The scientists have also detected a cloud of carbon dioxide snowflakes over the southern pole of Mars. Well, that would be disturbing. Right? What do those snowflakes look like? I don't know, but they would hurt to have hit you. <laughs> right? They <laughs> burn. Yeah, exactly. Nothing like some burny snow. Yeah. I mean, I already feel like snow burns. Um, I don't know. Anyhow, that's that's my story today about snow. No, that's cool. Nice topic. Yeah, I knew nothing about it. So good stuff. <laughs> Honestly, does anybody know anything about how well, clearly some people stuff? know a whole lot about it? But, yeah. <laughs> I have literally turned into that meme about like, I don't know. I didn't learn anything valuable in high school. Me as a 30 year old listening to 24 hours worth of a podcast on the yeah. secret life of dolphins, like never yeah. going to use this information, but I needed right. to know today. I'm now addicted to the, the history of the Germans podcast. So, you know, it's. Ooh. That one has sucked me in. So now I need to get into a couple of new ones. I've been reading a lot of audiobooks lately, and so I've gotten off the podcast kick. Nice. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, yeah, no, thanks for the topic. Good stuff. Adds to our nice eclectic nature. So yeah, we got <laughs> we have the history of coffee. We have kidnappings. We've got how to make artificial snow. It's all yeah. It's neat. Why this podcast is fun. So <laughs> Lord. <laughs> well, cool. Well, thank you for listening this week, everybody. You know, as always, rate, subscribe, review, tell your friends about our podcast, and uh, we will catch you all in a week. Bye, folks. Bye.